Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wisdom on Wheels podcast. I am Steve Johnson, and it is good to be with you today. If you missed the last couple of videos, I, I don't have my YouTube channel pull link or the link pulled up, or I can just give it to you right now. But if you're interested in finding my YouTube channel, you can email me at wisdomonwheels83 at gmail.com. Again, that's wisdomonwheels83 at gmail.com. We went through the first 11 verses of Genesis 37 in the last couple of episodes. So if you haven't seen any of those, you haven't missed much. But what I'm going to do, since the objective of this podcast episode is to go through the entire chapter, um, I would like to um, just play the entire chapter of Genesis 37 and then we will be discussing that. Normally I read from the NIV. I thought maybe this time I would use um, something from the Word of Promise Audio Bible. And I would use that to kind of go through the chapter. Um, we're going to be talking about verses 12 through 17 first. So what I'm probably going to do is just play those verses and then we will discuss those and go on from there. And the Word of Promise Audio Bible reads the New King James Version, which was released in 1982 originally. So that's the one we're going to go to right now. Excuse me. Yeah, I said I was going to go through the entire chapter, and then I just started in verse 12. Let's go back up to verse 1 and begin reading that. We're going to go to 17, and then we're going to stop and talk about verses 12 through 17. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, Please, hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then, behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright, and indeed your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us, or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers. 
Look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him. What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him. But his father kept the matter in mind. So that's everything that I did in the previous thing. And um, we talked about that a little bit on my previous episode of this podcast when we went through the first three verses, I think it was, and about the... Uh, the only thing I will continue to say about that is the, the I can understand the jealousy of Joseph's brothers here. Um, Jacob obviously loves him more than Joseph, or excuse me, obviously loves Joseph more than the other children. The Bible even says so. And yet, um, I mean, it's it's definitely understandable why they would be so negative about him. I don't, I can't really blame him, blame them for that. Um, what they chose to do with that anger and that bitterness and the fact that they allowed bitterness to grow, that's a problem. And what they ended up doing was definitely sinful and wrong, and there's no justification for that. But the feelings themselves, I kind of get it. <laughs> um, anytime you favor one child over another or anything like that or are unjust like that, it's going to create some resentment as it did here with Jacob and uh, his sons, and more importantly, between Joseph and his brothers. Then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, here I am. Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron and he went to Shechem. Now a certain man found him and there he was wandering in the field. What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. They have departed from here, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Alright, so there's verses 12 through 17. First thing I did was go to the map um, in the back of my study guide here from Precept Ministries. And I looked up Shechem and Hebron and Dotham, the three places that are mentioned in these six verses, verses 12 through 17. And we see that Hebron is north of Shechem. I don't know by how much, because as helpful as that map is, 
The one thing it doesn't have on it is a scale to show you how many miles it is from one place to the other. And then Dotham is even farther north than that. But those are the three places. So he, he went from Hebron to Shechem and then from or excuse me, let me go back to my map here and look at this real quick just to make sure I've got this right. He went from Shechem to, let me go back and see here what the verse says. He went to Shechem from the valley of Hebron. So he went from Hebron to Shechem and then he found that his brothers had already gone to Dotham, which was farther north. They had been in Shechem. But then they left and went to Dotham. So they went the opposite way of home. And regardless, they were obviously not doing what they were tasked to do by their father. And when I talk about Jacob's unfair treatment of his other sons, let's also not excuse them and say, well, I mean, there's obviously a reason why. Jacob didn't trust his sons. There's a reason why Jacob sent his youngest or one of his youngest sons, Joseph, to oversee the others, even though they were older. There's a reason for that. It didn't just happen out of the blue. So while I while I understand their resentment and the fact that Jacob obviously loves Joseph more than them, there's also a reason why he would send Joseph after them to look after them. There's a reason why Joseph earned this favor from his father. And so let's keep that in mind too. I get where they're coming from with the jealousy and resentment, but also you gotta kinda, you gotta kinda live, you know, live up to your end of the relationship here, so to speak. So I get that too. Um, so if we're going to summarize basically what happens in this paragraph, Jacob sends Joseph to check on his brothers who were supposed to be grazing their father's flocks. They already left and went farther north to Dotham. So that's what we've seen so far. Now we're going to look at verses 18 through 24 of Genesis 37. Now when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit, and we shall say, some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands. Let us not kill him. Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit which is in the wilderness. And do not lay a hand on him. That he might deliver him out of their hands, and bring him back to his father. So it came to pass, when Joseph had come to his brothers, that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. 
So they here, who are the they in verse 18? When it says, when they saw him afar off, obviously that's his brothers. And the key word here is was mentioned twice in this in these verses. Dream and dreamer. <laughs> here comes that dreamer. We'll see what becomes of his dreams. Obviously they are very jealous. They're very bitter. They're very angry. Uh, that whole thing where he goes through and tells them, Hey, by the way, guys, I got great news. I had a couple of dreams. And you're going to love this part. You guys are going to bow down to me. Isn't that great? I don't know whether there was some arrogance in Joseph. I doubt it because that doesn't fit with the rest of his character. Perhaps he was just very naive. <laughs> That's a, a possibility as well. He's just very naive. Wasn't was totally clueless maybe about how his brothers felt about him. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us, and I haven't done a lot of reading from other texts outside the Bible to see, you know, what possible how if if there's any other ancient information from this time about whether Joseph was aware of his brother's attitude toward him or anything like that, I don't know. Could have just been very naive. Anyway, the point is is that he, you know, he tells them this dream. They're obviously, they already don't like him. They already hate him because he's favored above his, he's favored by his father. Now, they're going to go so far as to, now he's like, hey, you know, I had a dream. You guys are going to bow down to me one day and I'm going to reign over you. Uh -uh. <laughs> and so they're obviously very bitter and jealous and angry about this this whole thing about the dreams and Joseph being this dreamer getting dreams from God about such things um, has kind of pushed them over the edge so they plotted to kill him and they wanted to kill him and, or some wanted to, uh, they wanted to kill him and throw him in a cistern and then say that an animal destroyed him. Reuben said to throw him into the cistern without killing him. And he was going to take him back to Jacob alive. And, you know, Reuben, Reuben has already lost some favor with his father, um, even though he's the firstborn, because, remember, he laid with one of Jacob's uh, concubines, um, and disgraced his father. So maybe, again, I'm, this is my conjecture here, maybe he's trying to get back in the good graces of his father. Hey, look, my brother's here. We're going we're gonna to kill your boy, your favorite, your favorite son, um, your, your fortunate son, to quote a song title. And uh, look, I saved him. Aren't you proud of me, Dad? Here he is. Look, I brought him back safe and sound. I saved your favorite boy from all your other hooligans over here. Maybe that's what was going through his mind. Again, I don't know. Well, for whatever reason, I do think there was a selfish motive because of something he says later when Joseph gets sold into slavery. But we'll get into that when we cross that point in the passage. Regardless of the reason, whether it was altruistic or whether he just had 
a moment of sympathy or he had a little bit of sympathy in his heart for Joseph, whatever it was, regardless of the reason, Reuben objects and says, let's not kill him. Let's not be too rash. This is too much. Um, and he wants to take Joseph back to his father. So, his brothers want to throw him into a cistern. Um, Judah says, you know what? Uh, well, no, we, don't, we haven't gotten to Judah yet here. It's, uh, Judah does speak up here too. But Reuben says, hey, uh, let's not kill Joseph. And let's uh, take, take him back to dad. So the brothers weren't doing their job. They see Joseph. They they reach the breaking point. They want to kill him. They want to lie and say that he was eaten by a wild animal. And except for Reuben, uh, except for Reuben, Reuben says, "Hey, no, no, this that's too much, guys. Let's just let's teach him a lesson. Throw him in his cistern, and then." And, and that'll be good enough. That'll teach him a lesson about spouting off about his dreams. And, you know, that'll show him what the real pecking order is. And, you know, we'll teach him some respect. Right? Well, now let's go on to verse 25 through 28 and see what happens next. sat down to eat a meal. Then they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. Then Midianite traders passed by. So the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. So... What do we have going on here? Uh, first of all, let's uh, geographical references. The only geographical reference here is Egypt. That's where they sold, um, where Joseph was taken after he was sold into slavery. Um, there's a lot of expressions of emotion here. You know, um, well, before we get into that, let's. Uh, Um, we see the Ishmaelites brought Joseph, bought Joseph as a slave at uh, Judah's suggestion with Midianite merchants involved. And Reuben wanted to make a buck. You know, I, I like how he does this. He's, you know, he, he's kind of, he tries to be the voice of reason here and says, Judah says, hey, you know what, guys? I mean, I'm not a big fan of Joseph either. I kind of, I hate him. I'm jealous of him just like you are. But hey guys, 
I mean, he is kind of, he is our brother after all, you know? I mean, aren't we being a little too harsh to be? He's kind of taking the Reuben tack here, but rather than wanting to, to bring him back to just his father, Judah says, you know, he is our brother. It would be too extreme to kill him. You know what would be a better idea? We can make a, we can make some money off of this. We can still perpetuate the lie that Joseph is dead and say that a wild animal ate him. But why don't we sell him into slavery? That way we can make some money. We can turn a profit. They would let a good crisis go to waste, you know. Winner, winner, chicken dinner, all those things, you know. So, that's what Judah comes up with. I had originally written down Reuben here. It was actually Judah that said that, not Reuben. That was my mistake in my notes. Um... So they're just sitting there. This is something too else about about this that I, when I think about this, it's like I can't believe they would just do this. So they've thrown Joseph in this cistern in this well, right? And so they've thrown Joseph in this, and then they just sit down and eat a meal. Now all this time I can imagine Joseph screaming from his sister, you know, let me out, please, you know, begging for his life or whatever. You know, they've stripped him down, they've stripped him of this tunic, they've tossed him in there, and and he, he's, I can't imagine he's just sitting there with his legs crossed or, or sitting there in a, or in a fetal position going, La-dee-da-dee-da, -da, stuck in a well, stuck in a well. What am I going to do? I'm stuck in a well. Joseph is going to be very bothered and troubled by this and probably, like I said, very fearful. And his brothers are just sitting there enjoying dinner or lunch or whatever. They're enjoying a meal. While their brother is in this thing that they just tossed him in. I agree, phone. Thank you for the amen there. That was actually just a Facebook notification. They, they just seem to not... They obviously don't care about their sibling at this point in their life at all. <clears throat> so rather than killing him without Reuben present, they sold him to the Ishmaelite traders into slavery uh, thanks to Judah who wanted to make money. Reuben, like I said, probably wanted back in good graces with his dad. But for some reason, he obviously, in between the time of them tossing him in the well and when the slave traders come by, when the, when the merchants come by, for, for whatever reason, he's no longer... Um, Reuben, for some reason, isn't there. As we're going to see when we get to verse 29. I don't know where Reuben went, but sometime between this, Reuben has disappeared and now he's coming back to go to the pit where Joseph was supposed to be.
the pit, and indeed Joseph was not in the pit, and he tore his clothes, and he returned to his brothers. The lad is no more, and I, where shall I go? So they took Joseph's tunic, killed a kid of the goats, and dipped the tunic in the blood. sent the tunic of many colors and they brought it to their father we have found this do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not and he recognized it it is my son's tunic a wild beast has devoured him without doubt joseph is torn to pieces Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. For I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. So Jacob is or Israel is obviously very distraught and rightfully so over what he thinks has happened to his his favorite son here. Um, the robe represented was a representative of his love for Joseph. Remember, he presented this to Joseph, showing how highly favored he was of his father. You know, this was a very expensive, very elaborate gift, very ornate robe. And so, and, and this was a representation of that, and they just bring it back dipped in the blood of an animal and say, hey, is this, does this belong to your son? Now, of course, they, they know that J Jacob is so torn up and distraught over what happened here that he just, it literally is a life-changing, life-altering blow to him that his child that he loves the most is, he believes, dead. He's, he lapses into a serious state of depression. He's basically, after this, he's just waiting to die. He refuses to be comforted. His children try to come to him, comfort him. His sons who know what, what really happened, they, you know, they try to comfort him. They don't tell him the truth, obviously. Uh, they don't care enough about him to be honest with him telling the truth. But they try to comfort him. He won't be comforted. His daughters, who probably don't understand what's going on, just like Jacob doesn't. Um, they try to comfort him, and he wants nothing to do with that either. He just refuses. He just refuses to be comforted, and he's just waiting. He's waiting on the end of his life. He's basically waiting to die. Like he says. In this passage here. Hang on one moment. I get myself. Sometimes here. Uh, I've got 
little bit of heartburn. I'm gonna grab myself a Tums tablet real quick. And then I will continue with my notes. Just hang on one moment. Hi, Galaxy. You're a good cat. I love you. You said you're such a good kitty. You are. You're such a sweet kitty. Good girl. Okay. Now, so we've reached the end of Genesis 37 in our text, but we still have some things to cover here. Um, so like I said, Joseph gets sold to Egypt. Um, there's a lot of expressions of emotion here. Reuben tore his clothes when he saw that Joseph was no longer in the pit. Now, why he would, you know, again, why he was uh, distraught, did he really care that much about Joseph, or was there other reasons for this? Because something Reuben says here, he says, the lad is no more, and I, where shall I go? So even his concern for Joseph isn't so much for Joseph. It's, oh no, what's going to happen to me? You know, I've already put myself in the permanent doghouse with Dad by having relations with one of his concubines. Now, now, I'm the oldest and his favorite son is gone. He's going to look at me and say, where were you, you useless, you know, whatever. You know, first you, you disgraced me earlier in your life. Now you can't even bring my boy back to me. And, you know, I, I imagine that seems to be what he's thinking by his question here. Where shall I go? So he, he's concerned for Joseph, but his concern for Joseph is more about him. And why, you know what it's going to be like for him when they return to their father. Um, Reuben tore his clothes because of concern about himself. Jacob, when he finds out about it, tears his clothes from, because of Joseph. He mourns and laments that his favorite son, he believes, like I said, is dead even though he's not the children try to comfort him and Jacob just weeps so there's a lot of emotion this, these verses are heavy on emotion and again understandably so this is a a tale of deceit it's a history of lies deceit jealousy hatred and for Jacob it's distress and depression and sorrow and the kind that just stays with you for the rest of your life and like I said after this the text indicates he's just waiting to die and so 
at the beginning of this chapter, Genesis 37, it started in Hebron. Joseph started in Hebron, in the valley. He ends up in Egypt, sold into slavery by his brothers. Jacob begins the chapter with all of his children there, with his favorite son, part of his life, showering love upon him. And he ends the chapter with thinking that his son is dead, never to return. This record of Joseph not only gives us an account of the sons of Jacob, it also serves another purpose. And for that other purpose, we're going to look at Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, because there's something that Paul writes in Romans 15 that ex explains why this story and the, all of the Old Testament is important for us today. You know, in the church today, in, in some circles at least, uh, I've heard certain pastors say this. I've heard Andy Stanley say this a lot, and it's it's really incorrect. This de-emphasizing of the Old Testament. I'm not saying we're under the law anymore, but this de-emphasizing of the Old Testament is a problem. And Paul explains why here in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. So whatever things were written before were written for our learning. These stories that we're reading about, our entire study of Genesis, it was written for our learning. Through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Joseph's life story is one of patience. Um, as, as we continue on through Genesis, as we have now entered this last section of Genesis, Genesis 37 through 50. And when we see that, when we look at this, we see that Joseph's story is one of patience, despite all the terrible things that happened to him, how his life ends up as wonderful, as we'll see. But, but it's because of that that we can have hope when we find ourselves in similar situations reading events like this historical events like this in the scriptures can cause us to persevere it can cause us to be encouraged we can even be warned that even if we're doing all the right things sometimes bad things can still happen just as they do to joseph it also tells us what might come from uh, what might come from it so reading of others in similar situations or circumstances and their relationship to God negative or positive helps us evaluate where we are and where we're headed we can look at the story of Joseph and I mean has anything similar ever happened to you have you been the victim of jealousy or bitterness and experienced a great trial because of it? 
Has there been a conflict in your family? A case of favoritism, partiality of a parent toward a child? Maybe, you know, you were a sibling where your parents favored one child over another. Maybe you were on the other end of it. Maybe you were the child that was favored and you can see how it's affected your other sibling or siblings. Maybe you're a spouse who feels like the child was loved more than you. Uh, even though the scripture says to put you know, your most important human relationship in your life is your spouse. Or, you know, I mean, it can be, the, the applications of this can be many. Have you had to deal with a seething jealousy, which is obviously what Joseph's brothers have here? Have any family members ever ganged up on you? Do you see yourself in any of these historical figures that we're reading about here in Genesis 37? Can you relate to Joseph? Can you relate to Reuben or Judah? Or are you like Joseph's brothers? So eaten up with jealousy that you could hardly talk with someone decently or kindly? Has your jealousy turned to hatred? Is there murder in your heart? Because remember, Jesus had something very, very specific to say about murder and hatred. He said it in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. And let me pull that up here because I feel like that is very relevant to this discussion. This is in Matthew 5, verse 21. Uh, we're going to go to verse 26 because I feel like this really speaks to the danger of hatred in the heart. You know, we read the Ten Commandments and people say, well, at least I've never murdered anyone. Well, listen to this. This is Jesus speaking. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there, before the altar, and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly, while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge. The judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. So Jesus is very clear that hatred in the heart is the same as murder. 
So whether you relate to any of these situations or know others who are in them, we want to pay careful attention to what transpires in this last section of Genesis, chapters 37 through 50. Um, as far as me personally, uh, I don't think I have any jealousy toward anyone right now. It's not to say I never have, because I most certainly have. Um, and again, like Joseph's brothers, I can say that at least the most recent bout of jealousy that I have experienced, I feel like are completely justified. But, or were at the time, they're not anymore because they're largely irrelevant now, but at the time were very justified. However, what you do with those actions, what in some cases what I did with those actions um, can not always be the best as we saw with Joseph's brothers. Now I've never, you know, thrown anyone into a pit or sold them into slavery or anything like that, but the hatred in the heart toward people, I mean, who, who among us can say that we Especially if you're, I mean, I'm 37. Those of you who are adults, no matter what age you are, can you honestly say you never, even for a time, hated someone in your heart? Then, according to Christ, you're guilty of murder. You've broken that commandment not to murder because you've not kept it in your heart. So, Jesus really, he takes God's moral law which existed even before the Mosaic Law. Now, he codified his moral law, the Ten Commandments, into the Mosaic Law. But the Law of God predates even the Law of Moses. Even though he codified it in the Law of Moses, the Law of God predates even the Mosaic Law that God gave to Moses. Well, let me say that a different way that's maybe more understandable. The Mosaic Law does not apply to believers under the new covenant where now once you belong to Christ that mosaic law no longer applies to you but the law of God the Ten Commandments the moral law predates the mosaic law he included it in the mosaic law but it predated it and Paul gets into this when he talks about the different, you know, he talks about the law of God and how it's written on the hearts of all people, even the people who didn't have the letter of the law, meaning the law of Moses. The law of God, these Ten Commandments, were written on the hearts of people. Um. So if I were to take anything from this for myself personally, and we're all, we all might get something different out of this, I would say, Father, help me to bathe in your grace. Because without the grace of God, we're all screwed, okay? We're all screwed. We've all sinned. 
We've all committed adultery by lusting in our heart. If we haven't committed adultery by the, by the physical act or whatever, um, or other sexual sin, Jesus said, if you look at a woman and, well, let's just go down here to these next two verses that Jesus said here. I won't just say them out loud. We'll, we'll listen to them. heard that it was said to those of old you shall not commit adultery but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart I mean it doesn't get much more clear than that again who among us male or female hasn't done that especially if you're an adult already I mean I had already broken this commandment thousands of times before I even became an adult. Uh, I'm, my first real experience with lust that I can remember, I was 13, okay? I've broken that commandment thousands, thousands, and that's not an exaggeration, maybe hundreds of thousands of times. We've all broken God's law and we all need to bathe in His grace because that is the only hope we have to restore that relationship with God that is broken by sin. Jesus said that we need to come to Him like a child. We need to approach God with the same spirit of a child, of the way that Joseph approached life. As we're going to see in these verses, or in these chapters ahead. But that's all for now. I'm not going to go any farther into this, I don't think. Um... The next time we're going to get in we're going to talk a little bit more about Genesis 37 but not much and then we're going to go on to Genesis 38 and see what happens with Joseph after he gets sold into slavery and taken to Egypt but that's for next time uh for right now this is Steve Johnson for the Wisdom on Wheels podcast it's been great to be with you i greatly look forward to being with you again soon god bless and bye bye